Hey, welcome to a Wiser Retirement Podcast. Leaving a financial legacy isn't something that happens by accident. It takes planning. We've put together a guide with seven steps to leave a financial legacy and have made it available for free on our website. This guide covers designing your legacy, estate planning, financial education, and protecting your legacy. The link to download seven steps to leave a financial legacy is listed in the episode description, or you can go to wiserinvestor.com, scroll to the bottom and find it there. Now on to today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Wiser Retirement Podcast. We believe the best financial advice should always be conflict-free. I'm your host, Casey Smith, and with me today is my co-host, Brad Lyons. Hey, good. How you doing, Brad? Hi, Casey. So today, uh, just as we're about to record this podcast, uh, we get our new inflation number for the last year, 9.1%. 9.1. That is simply amazing. We haven't seen this. They keep saying the headlines are 40 years since. I don't know. It may be even longer. Um, 9.1%. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, as investors, all we can do is, is maintain our, our focus and our strategy to the long term. Um, obviously, stocks are going to do better uh, in a temporary inflation environment. But if we keep climbing in inflation, there, are, there is a point at which companies can't keep up with that. And I don't know that we get there. No one's really talked about double digit inflation, but we're uh, technically 0.9 away from it. And some sectors have seen, certainly seen double digit inflation in that one sector. But this number is just showing the average across the board is a 9.1% inflation rate. Yeah. I think that that's key. What you said that not every sector is experiencing it at the same level. There are some sectors that are experiencing higher inflation than 9.1%. And that's why it's difficult at this point in time to manage a portfolio by trying to predict which sector or which company in a sector is gonna do better than any other company. It's just very difficult. So by maintaining a broad exposure to broad asset classes is the only way at this point in time in order to be uh, in the markets um, and be participating in whatever sector, whatever companies are doing well through this period. And then for conservative investors that don't want to tolerate stocks as much, and they've been holding bonds all these years, man, what a, what a, um, just a, a horrible year for, for bonds so far. I mean, look at the bond aggregate down over uh, 12% uh, year to date. It, it's, uh, it's, it's really scary for every type of investor because we're, we're in this environment where stocks are down. People expect that to happen from time to time, but people, kind of grew accustomed over the last 30 years that bonds are pretty, pretty level. In fact, uh, some bonds had, you know, had given you a, a double digit return in one year, just not seeing that. And, and it makes sense just because basically if you have higher inflation, your bond doesn't adjust to that. So that hundred dollars that you're getting every month in dividends or interest is uh, not worth as much. And therefore the, the price would drop. That's right. I mean, for the most part, since the seventies, um, the U.S. has seen a bull market in bonds for the entire time as they went from high 16, 17% treasury, 10-year treasuries, down to 0.6 as recently as 2020 yeah. or so. I mean, that's a long-term bull market. Investment managers have been calling for this reversal for years 
thought it was going to happen several years ago and it didn't happen. Rates continued well, to they, go down. They, they thought it was going to happen in 2010, 2011. I That's mean, right. Yeah. For those that got too conservative back then, they missed out on double-digit bond returns over that time period. It's so hard to time. Yes. Very hard to time. Bonds are an extremely important uh, piece of a portfolio. Um, and the best way to manage them is probably not to tinker with them too much. They will self-adjust as the maturities come due and investment managers are able to reinvest the, those maturities at higher interest rates. Yeah. I mean, you think about just mortgages. So a good example that people seem to relate to is on the mortgage front, if uh, we were doing 1.9 to 3.5% mortgages a year ago, and now mortgages are five to six, that means as new mortgages hit the, the funds, the, the yield is going up, which means you're getting more money. So the price has dropped, but bond income is on the rise. I think that's the important thing to, that I'm, I'm actually excited about because it's been decades since we've seen bond portfolios generate solid income. Yes, yeah, savers will start to finally see some interest on their, on their savings and bond investors will start to see some, some payments on their, on their investments. So it's a, uh, it could be a, a, as the pendulum is swinging back in the other direction, you know, the time for savers and bond investors is, is, is coming. Yeah. Uh, and that's positive. It's, it's positive that it happens. Unfortunately, though, you're going to have a lot of people bailing out of bonds. And I don't think that's such a good idea. We still have risk out there of, of a recession. And, you know, right now we have an inverted yield curve. I was reading this in the paper yesterday. We have an inverted yield curve. So the, that, which basically means, uh, I believe it's the, um, the, the one year is about 0.8 less than the 10 year or more than the 10 year. So your ultra short term bond is now uh, uh, yielding higher than the 10 year bond. And that's typically a sure sign of a recession. Now, when that recession happens, this is where it's kind of laughable uh, is within five years. <laughs> yeah. But, but if you drop down to the one month treasury and you compare that to the 10 year treasury, Right now, that's still normal, where the one month pays less than the 10-year. And they say that's the one that's definitely 100%. There's a recession immediately if that gets inverted. So if we want to be optimistic that you know the sure sign that we're definitely in a recession uh, is, is, uh, uh, is not giving the red signal yet. However, right. however it's, going to be, um, it's going to be very interesting uh, if there is a recession called, which we'll know in a, in a couple of months, if, a, if, if we're in a recession, I may be less than that now, um, it'll be the funniest recession ever. I mean, not, not laughable funny, but just right. odd. And that's what economists <laughs> and investment managers are saying. If we go into recession, this will be the strangest one they've seen in their careers. Um, we because have, of, we just because of un unemployment. 300 and some thousand jobs were created. Yeah, you know, last month in, in the month of June. Um, so ultimately, we have all these cross currents that are occurring that are, it's not just inflation, it's not just interest rates, it's not just uh, the supply chain, it's not just, you know, what's happening geopolitically over in Ukraine and Russia. Um, it's all these things are, that are mixed together and providing mixed signals. So when we talk about the, the yield curve being inverted, really, it's a data point. It's a yeah. data point that economists have looked at and they've used it to either predict or confirm some sort of economic condition. 
you know? Well, th then you also wonder um, about going back to the bond conversation, you know, if, if, it, if it becomes a deeper recession, they stop raising rates or they're going to lower rates eventually. So when they lower rates, bond prices go up. And so yeah. if anything, you look at all the dividend or all the interest reinvestment you can do now, if it gets really bad and they drop, have to drop rates to spur the economy on in the future, then you're in a really good position inside your bond portfolio. So it's hard to see that when you're experiencing what we're experiencing now. Um, but it's important to say the course. It's also important to have good financial planning simply because uh, if you don't have enough cash reserves and you're having to sell bonds at a loss, you're having to sell stock at a loss, you're destroying wealth to live on at that point. And that, and that, honestly, Brad, that's something I learned in the financial crisis back in 08 and why I'm so passionate and we're passionate as a firm that uh, cash reserves be monitored, that our clients have enough in reserves that they can weather these kind of storms. Uh, and if they're, exactly. if they're retired, we hold the reserves for them to make sure that we can weather the storm. So these are definitely interesting times. Um, you know, the, the airplanes are loaded, hotels are full. Um, I don't see any signs where people aren't spending money. They aren't buying uh, retail items as much. The, those sales have uh, come down, but they, they certainly are still spending money. And it's going to be interesting to see where that shifts in the next six months. Uh, and do people really stop spending? If you're creating new jobs, people feel good. They're out there spending money. So it's going to be interesting. It should be. And this is why economists and investment managers who are looking at this, such as us, are going to find this, if it goes into recession, one of the strangest ones ever, where you actually have increasing employment okay, and negative GDP business activity at the same time. <laughs> right. you know, one of the things that's happening, because it's the summertime, we're seeing the airplanes filled, as you said, the resorts filled, you know, but in a couple of months, we'll be back to fall. Okay. So will there be a, a turnover, you know, in how people spend their money? So if they're spending it on vacations and travel and experiences, you know, they're not spending it so much on retail goods right now. And we're starting to see some sales in stores, you know, because right. inventories are increasing. So what we may see is that people go back to spending on, goods rather than services later in the year and the economy will shift some more well i thought that was interesting um we do have to get back to our main topic though yeah. and our theme for this quarter is legacy planning we um uh, one, of the, one of the components of legacy planning is, is building a team to support your family now and the next generation and what we're going to talk about today is just how do you choose a financial advisor to help facilitate uh, your legacy plan? And based on our prior podcast, you know, you can, um, uh, you know, to talk about we, or we talk about what is legacy planning, why it's important. Ultimately, I don't necessarily think we should get into that today, but more of like, how do you choose an advisor? And I tell prospective clients all the time that the barrier to entry to be a air quotes financial advisor is very, very low. Um, all you really have to do is take a test, which isn't that hard. You get your certification. Uh, the certification has nothing to do with good advice at all. It really has more to do with industry regulations and uh, not taking people's money, which unfortunately still happens. But ultimately, um, it really depends on the type of company 
that the advisor is working for. And if you want to break it down there in the two, really there's two sides of the business. There's people who sell stuff and there's people who give advice. And it both looks very similar to the person who doesn't, doesn't know the difference. In fact, they even call themselves the same thing. Uh, maybe not officially a financial advisor on a business card. It might be registered rep or something along those lines. Ultimately, oh, and, th and then we have industry designations like the CFP. Well, the CFP can be used by people selling product and the people actually giving you advice. So what, is, what does all that mean? And it, it can be very confusing. I, I think that there's a couple of ways that you can uh, filter things out really fast. And, you know, number one is what are your goals and objectives? Are you, are you looking for holistic advice? Are you looking for a quarterback to, to help you with, um, you know, financial planning and investment management and taxes and estate issues? Uh, that, that person is not going to be found uh, in a, you know, like a Wells Fargo environment or a um, Ever Jones environment, unless you get into like private wealth at those areas. Uh, and that's probably what, 25 to $30 million to have someone at that level really take, take control of things. So ultimately, what are your goals? Is it just to buy a stock? Then maybe you just need a person who um, invests in individual stocks or whatever. If, it, if, it, if, it's a, if it's a plan, ultimately you need someone that's subject, subjected to the uh, fiduciary duty rule. And in my opinion, um, every advisor should be a fiduciary, but that's not the reality. In fact, minority of financial advisors are fiduciaries. And fiduciary standard basically means that you have to work in the best interest of the client, period. Yes, and I think that one of the ways that a prospective client prospect, somebody who's looking for advice can find it is to inquire not just about the competency and the background of the advisor that they're talking to, but the structure of the firm that the advisor works at. I think that is so important. And you and I have talked about this in great deal relative to the structure of the firm can promote trust before trust is earned between the advisor and the client. Yep. So another test is, you know, what can you sell me? And if the answer is I can sell you these products, <laughs> that's a great way to, <laughs> that's a great way to say thanks, but no thanks. You never, you never want someone with, uh, with competing interests. And even fiduciaries can have competing interests. There's people that are fiduciaries that still sell products and the disclosures get buried. And so ultimately, I believe as an industry, and this is a, not really how to choose a financial advisor, it's more of uh, how to elect people into government who understand this stuff. But I believe as an industry, the product should never pay the advice giver. That would solve the whole problem. Don't worry about fiduciary standard, not fiduciary standard. Just say it's illegal for, for any advisor to receive any type of payment from any product that they're selling. And immediately all the garbage that gets sold out there will disappear. Because there'll be no incentive for people to use it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking because, oh, yeah, I know about that. I was in that industry for, for 12 miserable months. I started my career off of that industry. And I remember uh, people walking down 
or my manager is walking down the aisle at the firm and saying, hey, there's three people in this relationship, two better be making money, the company and the advisor. That's the most important people in this relationship. And it was heavy annuity sales, heavy whole life insurance sales. Uh, and, it's, and you make a lot of money. That's where the, the biggest producers um, come out of that, that realm. Uh, and so, you, you know, you still have to sell something that's suitable, meaning that you have to sell a product that's suitable, but it doesn't mean that you're selling the best. It's like going to car shopping, right, Brad? I mean, you go to the Ford dealership and they say, hey, this, this F-150 is the best, uh, best there is. But what if you had a dealership that had an F-150, uh, a Ram and a Chevy and Toyota, whatever, and we chose the right truck that met your needs? because we had all the trucks available that are produced. That's what it's like on the fiduciary side and the fee only side where we're not selling product. And yeah. honestly, the portfolio, the portfolio uh, is really free at that point because most of us on the independent side, we're not using these expensive mutual funds that really don't have any long-term traction. We're using low cost index funds that where the portfolios are less than one-tenth of a percent a year in fees and everything trades for free. So another way to look at this relative to not being able to collect commission from a product sold is to, from a client standpoint, never take advice from the people who custody your assets. Okay. <laughs> who custodies assets? True. Brokerage firms who have proprietary products. Who custodies assets? Insurance companies who sell annuities. Who custodies assets? Mutual funds, you know. Right. So by not taking advice from people who custody your assets, you're actually going outside that realm and finding somebody who's independent of the custody aspect of your money to get advice from. Okay. So you're creating a kind of a three-legged stool, if you will, which is very um, um, strong. You have yourself, you have the custodian, you have your advisor. And these are three separate entities that are used in order to confirm and, you know, um, audit at the same time so yeah. for example the way we're structured to go back to structured we do not custody anybody's assets we do not custody any client assets are all the all the assets are custody of say on td ameritrade as, as people know that's been bought by schwab so we're then providing also advice to the client and then implementing that advice through the portfolio that not we're not custodying so we so have no affiliation with the brokerage firm we have no affiliation with an insurance company. We have no affiliation with a mutual fund company, a bank, a trust right. company, or any other financial services firm that might provide us with a, a stream of revenue based upon the recommendations that we make. Okay. There's, we don't have any of those affiliations that do that, such as insurance agents, brokers, you know, in the world, um, et cetera. So ultimately to go back to legacy planning, we, you know, that then filters, filters it down even further because when you're building, when, when you have a legacy plan, meaning you've got your estate planning done, um, you need portfolio management, but you, you're fine yourself. You've taken care of yourself. Now you want to start building things for the next generation and beyond could be a business, uh, could be, um, you know, real estate, it could, could just be stocks and bonds. Uh, that usually, usually it's all three of those things. But ultimately, a financial advisor that you're looking for needs to become the, the family CFO 
It's, it's the quarterback for the family that is coordinating with the CPA that is uh, coordinating all the tax planning and business decisions with the attorney um, as well with, with risk, risk mitigation and passing of assets. Uh, it's communicating with his or her own investment team. Uh, it's not going, okay, yeah, you have this real estate over here. That's great. But here's what I can do for you in this portfolio. Uh, they should never be incentivized to tell you to sell something else to put more money in their account, right? That goes back to how you're compensating. More than likely, I think a proper uh, legacy planning, you're typically going to have more than $5 million in, in assets, even investable assets. So talking about those numbers, I believe it should be a flat fee. You never want to have an advisor that's getting it paid a percentage of asset center management because his or her incentive is always going to be to grow their book of business. You want them incentivized to think about future generations and how, uh, how you can continue to add wealth to your family. And I don't believe that's in stocks and bonds 100%. I believe that real estate plays a big role in that. Or, or even if you're in your own business, when we had or still have a family that operates, I believe it's 25 plus assisted living facilities. And I remember conversations in the past, hey, I have this extra million dollars, where should I put this? And quite honestly, I'm like, look, you're in the hottest growing industry in the, <laughs> in the US right now. You have aging demographics moving your way. You understand your business. I would put it back into the business and keep growing that wealth through the business. And they've done that through um, uh, you know, managing different properties versus just building and managing. Uh, now that had nothing to do with me. I'm just the guide, right? Uh, and there's also been times when I thought, well, it's getting a little heavy in the business. We should look at things outside that, right? And they did their own job of choosing their own primary properties to where those are good investments. But it's, it's taking a look at the entire picture as a financial advisor and say, okay, this is our strategy going forward. Um, we've had other clients come in with maybe too much real estate, they're a little cash poor and we had, and we had some liabilities. And so we need to shift things around a little bit to, to create the liquidity that we need to live on uh, and also uh, still participate in uh, vacation rental properties and still participate in obviously the overall stock market. Ultimately for typically high net worth families, we're also going to be the quarterback on, on the tax front because you have CPAs that are doing their job in filing taxes, but they don't control the gain losses inside the portfolio. So it's coordinating with them and saying, hey, if they happen to have a, you know how business works, you can have a good year, but still have tax write-offs to where it's a flat, maybe it's a flat tax year to say, hey, we have Roth convert, we have a Roth IRA conversions that we like to convert to Roth. And how does that work into the tax strategy? And so it's coordinating that. It's coordinating um, uh, capital gains to say, we're going to take these gains. How does that affect return? They can say, oh, no, not this year. Let's do that next year. Okay, great. We'll come up with a plan to coordinate that next year. Then we have this huge drop in the market like we just had, Brad. And what have you been doing for the last four weeks? <laughs> the tax loss harvesting. Tax loss harvesting. Yeah, it's going through. They're going, man, we have these losses. Let's realize these losses. Let's build this huge tax credit. The money's still invested. We're not right. selling and going to cash and sitting there. We're, 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 you're, you're out of the market for what? Maybe three milliseconds. I mean, it's, it, it's really, point. Yes. it's a really fast transition, but we transitioned the portfolio to something similar that it was already into. 
to create these taxable events. So now we have clients sitting on $60,000, $70,000 in realized losses, yet when the market rebounds, they're going to rebound just fine, if not right. better. The structure and the integrity of portfolios maintained when yes. tax loss harvesting is done properly. You just set up these taxable losses that you can harvest year after year after year or whenever there's a large um, capital gain that comes your way. So it's a great tool for utilizing with other types of assets being real estate, business, et cetera, where you can, because you never lose the benefit of the, of the tax loss until it's expired, until you've used it all. It's exhausted is a better word. Yeah. So, you know, we, you and I, Brad, have gone into uh, this in depth. We, we have uh, episode 54, uh, hiring the right financial advisor in our podcast series. Um, we have a series we have a little fun with, of avoid the financial advisor who dot, dot, dot. <laughs> episode 21, you can go back and reference that. Even on our YouTube channel, uh, which is also called A Wiser Retirement, you can search for what is a certified financial planner. We talk about uh, that designation and what it means there. So we, we've talked about this a lot, but ultimately for people who are really fo focused on legacy, they tend to have higher assets. So we, with the higher asset number, how do you interview, how would you go and interview that person? So you're the client and you're walking to a firm. Uh, you're, you're a successful person. You've, you've done well in business. You've done well in something. Maybe, maybe it was a large inheritance because your family was, uh, your, your, your family was really good at that. You know, there's a lot of fast elevators and pretty waterfalls and lobbies in Buckhead. Right. In our, in our financial are. district. I mean, there's some really impressive offices down there, yeah. but they weren't free. Yeah. But, well, that goes back to fees and that's a little different discussion, but you, you think about that. I mean, what questions do you ask the person? You know, I, my first question would be, are you fee only? Yeah, you still want to know if they're a fiduciary and if they're acting in your best interest with all their recommendations and advice to the, to the fact, you know, are they a fiduciary and are they trustworthy and are they, is their firm structured in order to promote that trust before it's actually earned, right? Yeah. So you want to know exactly what the, the, that they can do on a long-term basis for you because implementing these types of plans are not a one and done thing. These plans last for years. And in fact, a, a, an estate plan should have a, a three, five, 10, 20 year plan strategy in order to either utilize assets or work their way out of assets and have an orderly um, transfer from generation to generation. Um, and are they going to be able to? Um, guide that transfer when the event occurs um, because the person is not there. So they're yeah. setting up trust that they cannot oversee when the event occurs. And then, but yeah, and I, I think the question we get most often is how do you work with my CPA or my attorney? Or they say, I really want a one-stop shop. Like, how do I, how do I use your CPA services and your uh, estate planning services or legal services? And for us, some some firms are large enough to have all this in-house. Uh, for us, we coordinate with a local CPA firm, um, all from big big accounting firms. There's no uh, 
uh, lots of experience in complicated things, I, I guess, is what we're focused on. Then we actually have two law firms here in town that have not only estate planning specialties, but so many other specialties as well that, that we're able to uh, partner with. And so it, it's explaining how that relationship works and how we coordinate and how we can talk on, on not necessarily behalf, but, but uh, talk, talk uh, with that other advisor um, freely about the client and they know who we are and we're, we're not here to, to second guess them. We're here to support them. Um, I think that's a question that I would be asking in a, certainly an interview and then ultimately, um, we do this all the time. People ask for references. And, and you're going to call the reference up. And of course, they're going to say good things because the reference isn't going to, uh, they wouldn't give you a reference. They weren't going to say good things about. But you can, you can talk more candidly you know, ab about what you're looking for. They think that advisor would be good at that. You know, the, ultimately, the, the, the financial advisor, if we could almost take away the word financial and, and substitute the word trusted, you know, in this sort of circumstance, you know, how do you find a trusted advisor? Right. Uh, yeah. And, and that would be ideal, obviously, where you have a trusted advisor sitting in the center with you and you have a hub and spoke arrangement with other advisor teammates, I guess, as you could say. And that is your CPA, your trust attorney, the insurance agent, um, the real estate people, et cetera, and business, uh, you know, managers. So it's, it's somebody who sits in the center with you and sees the whole picture. They see the entire landscape. Yep. You try and do it by yourself as a, as a, as a person with, with wealth. And you go to a CPA, the CPA is going to give you the best advice the CPA can give you in that slice. Okay. If you go to an estate attorney or commercial attorney and you, you ask them, they're going to give you their best advice based upon that limited knowledge, okay? And so on and so forth. It's the trusted advisor, and it's often the financial advisor, but it's the trusted advisor who sits in the center with you and sees the whole picture, okay? And gets everybody to understand that anything they advise on has an impact over here. And we talked a little bit about this. If we take a capital gain, it has in the portfolio, it has an impact on the taxes. So the CPA person needs to be and should be involved. Okay. So it's understanding the team structure and where that trusted advisor, often financial planner, okay, can sit with you and guide you through this, these choices and the teammate yeah. selection, quite frankly. I think ultimately, if you sit down with an advisor and all they talk about is portfolios, I mean, that's a that's a great way to start a conversation, possibly because um, it's something tangible you can show them. But if all they talk about is portfolios and portfolio structure, and that's it, um, I think that's a red flag these days. Quite honestly, um, robots can develop really solid investment portfolios. We don't we don't need people for that anymore. Uh, quite honestly, what we need is someone looking at the larger picture and saying, okay, great. Yes. This $5 million, we're going to invest this, this manner. That's an important conversation, but Hey, I noticed this is all your money. So where's your reserve, right? How much of a reserve do you need? And maybe we need to take a half million dollars and put it in reserve based on your lifestyle or 200,000 or a hundred thousand, or maybe 50,000. Um, it's, it's looking at all the, it's looking at all the roadblocks um, we're finding as we do our review meetings, we're finding that we have a 
tremendous number of people that have uninsured homes. I had one client had, didn't even have hurricane insurance on their home down in Florida, um, right there on the beach, <laughs> which is a little complicated. It's, it's not as dumb as it sounds, but the, um, uh, you know, it's for us, it's, it's coordinating with property casualty people because you and I are going to be seen at a property casualty conference. How, how boring would that be? Right. Talk about insurance all day long. Uh, but, but there's people who love that. And so we lean on our experts to, to analyze this for clients. That's what a financial advisor is doing. It's looking at the entire picture, not hanging their hat on, I pick good stocks. Well, how many times have you and I talked about and how many times we end up advising clients to utilize money in their portfolio to pay off their home mortgage. Now, remember, you can, for, to increase discretionary income for somebody, you can either raise revenue or lower expenses. <laughs> right. If we can lower their expenses on a more uh, efficient manner by utilizing money in the portfolio, we, have actually we can actually increase their discretionary income for them to live on in retirement by rather than, you know, and securing a paid for home at the same time. So yeah. now we don't make any money, obviously, from a revenue standpoint, but what we're doing is acting as a, you know, trusted advisor, you know, looking after the well-being of the client in every aspect. Well, it really comes down to, it starts off with a fiduciary fee-only, not fee-based, but fee-only platform. And then you have to build from there. Do they have the ability to uh, handle the comprehensive plan, which includes property casualty, estate planning, insurance, right? Can they do, can they do all that tax? Can they do all that uh, and coordinate all that in-house? And then ultimately, you know, what are the fees for that? Uh, and that's how you compare, you compare different firms, but um, you know, and also size. I mean, if, some people want to be at a really big firm because they feel secure knowing that, um, uh, that something goes wrong, that there's multiple people there that could help them or they feel like, oh, it'll be around longer. Uh, and to be fair, there's a lot of con consolidation in our industry right now, um, which is probably less disruptive to the client than it used to be. Uh, and then some people want to have, oh, no, I want to have this one person. I, I think there's risk in one person if it's a one person shop with an assistant, uh, because if that person becomes disabled, um, who's running the show? And a lot of times those firms haven't found efficiencies and processes yet. And so literally one person has it all in their head and that's not a good way to conduct legacy planning. If <laughs> you only have one person that can help fulfill that legacy, right. Mm -hmm. uh, where a medium sized firms, uh, you know, tend to tend to be what people will gravitate toward because they do have direct contact with, with advisors. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there's enough redundant redundancy in the system that if, if that lead advisor were to get hit by the, the Mack truck, so to speak, that, that the legacy planning still lives on. But um, I don't know, we could probably, we could talk about this for hours. I've often said I wanted to have a show uh, just on uh, dumb advisors and the dumb stuff they do. Uh, we get industry public, I get a weekly email. I'm sure you do too, Brad, about all the things that, that the government finds wrong with these firms and it makes headline news. But ultimately uh, I will add this, you know, Ponzi schemes and all the horror stories that you hear about, you got to have the advisor separate from the money. Advisors should never be able to touch your money. Right. So for us, that Schwab and never take advice from people who custody your assets. So Schwab and TD Ameritrade hold the assets, but that's all they do. They don't advise on it. They just hold it. We advise 
um, the client. And then we, of course we do all the trading and, and, and all that's necessary as managers of the account, but we can't grab the money and run. And that, that's an important part that people miss. They get uh, entranced by some of these bad actors because they're really good at talking uh, and they end up losing uh, a lot of money because they have direct access. They wrote them a check directly or a company that they control, mm-hmm. right? We don't control TD Ameritrade or Schwab, where if you wrote the check to Wiser Wealth Management, and I happen to own my own broker dealer, then the, the, the money's still available to me. And, that, and that's where the relationship goes wrong. Right. So, okay. all right, uh, Brad, another good conversation. Um, hopefully uh, we can get our, our, our hands around this inflation problem and uh, get back on track uh, market-wise. But I think to everyone out there who's invested already and they're watching values fall just remember that it's a long game it's not a short game right and it's not a casino so it's not like we go man i'm down 200 bucks i'm gonna go home um in this case going home costs you a lot of money so stick with the plan make sure you have enough cash reserves to be able to live for the next year year to two years and it all it's all going to get better it always does it always does okay all right brad see you see ya Thanks for listening to a Wiser Retirement Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. That way you don't miss any new episodes. We would also appreciate if you could leave a rating and review. If you have any questions about anything that was discussed today, head to wiserinvestor.com and reach out. We would love to hear from you. This episode was produced and edited by Lil Tim Moore. This podcast is strictly for informational purposes only and is not to be considered as investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any financial products, securities, digital assets, or any other investment vehicles or a basis to make any financial decisions. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. The host and or guest may personally own securities, digital assets, or other investment vehicles mentioned on this podcast. Neither the host nor guest of the show are compensated for their participation and no referral fees are paid to or received by any host or guest for clients, listeners, or similar interests. Investments involve risk, and unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor, tax professional, insurance professional, and or legal professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.